You're listening to a C3 Victory podcast. To find out more, visit us online at c3victory.org.au. Awesome. Awesome. I want you to give somebody a high five as you're sitting down. Thanks, guys. I'm ready to rock and roll. I cut in, but I think it's right time. Beautiful. I heard Simon. Oh, mate. That Victorian country accent. Not as mongrel as mine, is it? Hey, uh, I just should let you know that uh, first time for me to do this, we're live streaming to Northwest. Everybody turn and look at the camera. They won't see you anyway. Wave at Northwest. Hey, people, we're with you today. Can you get some of these guys in? We love you at Northwest. Are you doing that? Can you kind of... Todd, come in on these guys. Do it again. Turn and wave at the camera up there. We're going to Northwest this morning. We're all going to be together on the 18th, so it's so good to be the church gathered. You know, it's Central and at Northwest, and, uh, and uh, together, you know, we might be in different locations, but we're one church with a vision to influence our city. And, uh, and realize this, that our multiple locations increase our opportunities to reach people. Did you hear that? Did you hear what Janet just said earlier? We're now having opportunities. We have four Ush centers across the city, uh, the central part of the city anyway. And uh, we have the opportunity now to start reaching out. I mean, it hasn't happened in a long time, but to, to meet the needs of families in our Ush centers. And the church is doing that on a, on a very practical basis, showing the love of Christ. So that's awesome. We do more together to reach people. And our one vision gives us strength to do more than what we could ever do alone. That's, that's the beauty of it. And Janet and I, as she said earlier, we love you, we celebrate you, we're proud of you. And uh, you know, you go, oh, pride's a sin. Well, pride's not a sin if, unless you let it become sinful. That's brilliant, isn't it? Like, that's Alabama logic, okay. But listen to me, anger is not a sin unless you let it linger and become something more than it should be. Listen to me, what did Paul say? In your anger, which says you're gonna get angry, do not sin. You can be angry without sinning. You know that, don't you? Jesus was. He got angry at the temple when they were trading wrongly in the temple. And he didn't sin. So you can have pride in people for what God's doing through them without stepping into sin. It becomes sin when it exalts people above what they should be exalted. But there's nothing wrong with saying to people, don't you do it to your children? Hey, I'm proud of you. So we're proud of you. And we're not sinning by doing that. So, hey, last week's sermon from Pastor Nate and Pastor Darren was brilliant. Now, Nate's just gone out with a baby, but you know you've kind of made it when one of your quotes ends up on screen. You know the rule of thumb. I've got to say it like this. As Pastor Nate said. Now, when I quote this a second time somewhere else, I'll say, as somebody said. <laughs> the third time, I go, as I have always said. So, but I thought that was brilliant last week. God never wastes anything we give to him. He always uses it for preparation. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Always preparation. All things are working together for your good. All things. And that was a message. Nate's and Darren's message at the two campuses, really it was the same message, uh, was preparation for vision. Now, if you're a Star Wars fan, I said at staff the other day, an illustration from Star Trek, and nobody knew what I was talking about, except for probably Margaret, me, and Janet. 
you know, the oldies around the traps. Oh, I'm Pete McQuillan. We, we knew, we knew. You know, people don't, they don't talk about Trekkie anymore. I don't know what they call this. They even have a day dedicated to Star Wars fans. What is that? But if you remember back to the mid-70s when it went out, we're all sitting looking at the screen going, why are they starting on number four? Do you remember that? No, you didn't do that? Well, I did. I sat in the movie. It, I lost the first 10 minutes. I'm trying to figure out, why am I starting at section four? I never do a book like that. Method in their madness. Because, you remember, um, a few years ago, they came out with the prequel. Never heard of things. Sequels? Yeah. Prequels? Nah. Three prequels. What a money-making venture. Anyway, last week was a prequel to Vision Month. There you go. A lot of that for nothing anyway. The message went straight to the aspect of sacrifice. Okay? No vision becomes a reality without sacrifice. It's just a statement on the wall or in a booklet, and it doesn't happen. But today I want to take you back, so you could call this a prequel to the prequel. Because I want to take you back and show you what precedes sacrifice. You don't start at the level of sacrifice. The message was right, coming back to it on the 18th, but there's something before that. You don't start out just going, give, give, and it's not just giving money. Um, There is a prequel to this. And so our vision, as stated, since 1999, this has defined us. We are a life-giving church empowered by the Spirit to influence our city and beyond for the kingdom of God. It doesn't just say, and we didn't even know this prophetically at the time. I'm glad God is ahead of time. God's not captured in time. I don't know why they call him the Ancient of Days because a day with him is like a thousand years. But it, it doesn't just, you know, most vision statements only talk about what you do. This also talks about who we are. Wasn't that clever of God? I'm glad he's smarter than me. Anyway, that doesn't take much. Right, so in 1998, let me just kind of backtrack for a minute. Let me look back. 1998, I went on a quest seeking God for the vision for victory. Um, For some time, uh, we came, Janet said, 1995, we first came here. We focused on healing a fractured church and setting it free, which is still a hallmark of victory today. I don't know why my voice is breaking this morning which is good. Don't worry. I have reached the age of puberty. (laughs) Well, at least in years. Okay. And we set the kingdom of God as our priority. Now, here's the deal. As a result of that, without any stated vision, as a result of that, the church started growing rapidly. I remember people saying, Phil Pringle once asked me, how did your church grow so quick, Keith? I just went, uh, uh, that wasn't the answer he was looking for. But you know what what that did? It caused pressure around buildings, property, and a push to grow a large church. We started pushing things out in the building and doing all kind of different things and looking around the property and what can we do. And then people stepped in with conventional wisdom. Now, you need to hear me on this. This is conventional wisdom. And they said that the greatest vision you could have, Keith, would be that of growing a very large church. Now, by the way, there's nothing wrong with that. Absolutely nothing wrong with that. But that would mean the securing of a large property and creating a central campus where everybody streams to to get what we've got. And, uh, you know, it's like the old Kevin... This is for you, Darren, the movie buff. Um, The old Kevin Costner prophecy out of the movie Field of Dreams. Anybody see that? that? That phrase has ended up in more prophetic words around the world than anything else out of movies. The phrase, build it and they will come. 
My goodness. But it seems to be so different from the commission that Jesus gave us to go. So I wrestled with this. I went to New Zealand, visited a large church, very large church. I visited cell churches. I visited uh, church planting models, all kind of things. But all of a sudden, it's like God started saying, listen, I'm telling you to spread out and to go to them. Which was totally different than conventional wisdom. And I thought, yeah, it doesn't make me look smart, does it? It doesn't make me look like I want our church to grow. I remember saying to one of the pastors in the city, yeah, this is what God has told us to do, to spread out and do this. And he just looked at me and smiled. And it was one of those smiles like, you're a dummy. And Keith, how are you going to do that? that? That was his phrase to me. Good friend, Keith, how are you going to do that? How are you going to get these people to go out there and do what you should be doing? And I just went, I- I'm going to make them. <laughs> what else do you do? Anyway, it was in that season, you know, 98, moving into 99, pressure's on, what are we going to do? Property is kind of squeaking and groaning and all kind of things happening. The Lord led me to the scripture that became prophetic for us. Now, this is even before we joined the movement we're in. We'd ever heard of Phil Pringle and all that stuff. Uh, We did not get this from them. Um, it was a scripture the Lord had led me to. And I, if you know me, you hang around me. I am a Pauline preacher. Pauline's not a woman. It's, it's the writings of Paul. I could, I could live with a Bible that only has the writings of Paul and be happy. Serious. I could teach Romans for two years. I know you'd get bored. Um, I love it. But the Holy Spirit led me to this Old Testament passage. And I thought, you know, that ain't me. It was just so not me. But here's the deal. It became prophetic and it was powerful. The Word of God is powerful. Listen to me. Whether, whether it's a verse I like or a... You know, we all have our favorite books. I, I won't let you read my Bible because you'll find out where I don't read. Because the pages are clean. That's a horrible admission, isn't it? I'm telling you. But if you go to Ephesians, Romans, it, it's actually falling out of my Bible. Um, I just love it. Can't get enough of it. But anyway... Um, It doesn't matter where it is. It is powerful. There is power in the word. The power isn't in the sermon. You go, oh, that preacher was anointed. I would go, maybe. No, he just did a good job of delivery. He was a good postman this morning. Because the anointing is right here. Jonathan Edwards stood in the 1700s, late 1700s, and he stood with his very posh accent, powdered wig on, bow tie, glasses on his nose, and he read his manuscript word verbatim, sinners in the hands of an angry God. Have you ever read it? Funny thing is, in American literature in year 10 in high school, I had to read it even before I was born again. I read about two paragraphs and went, yawn factor, boring. Isn't it interesting that in America they see that sermon as a literary work of art? Do you know what happened as he stood and read that sermon? He wasn't even in his own church. He was a visiting preacher elsewhere. You know what happened as he stood and read it? By the way, he read as a monotone. Brilliant mind. He knew Greek, Latin, and Hebrew by the time he was 13 years of age. Brilliant mind. As he stood and read that sermon, unbeknownst to him, people started quaking in their seats shaking violently, 
grabbing the pillars inside the church and the pews till their knuckles were turning white and screaming, I can feel the flames of hell licking my feet. And he just kept reading monotone. Where was the power? Not in the performance, in the word. I said all that to say this. Timothy Keller, which you might have read some of his books, Prodigal God, lots of books on uh, apologetics today. He talked about the scripture, and you know what he said? He said this phrase, God's power in verbal form. I want you to know something. I believe as we read this text this morning, that there is the potential for the power of God to be loosed into your soul as we read it. You can either read it with a yawn factor, because you know what is interesting? In Edward's meetings where the Great Awakening was sparked, there were people that walked out and went, oh yeah, whatever. Just like people who faced Jesus and went, oh yeah, whatever. Just like people on Pentecost went, they're just drunk. You know, skeptics can only change if they're willing to be changed. Because God will not violate your will. But what he will do is he will give the power available to you for your will to be changed and reshaped. It's in the word. So as we read this word this morning, see, you've gone quiet. I'm not trying to be heavy. Anyway, loosen up. Drink. Breathe. My watch tells me to breathe. It tells me to stand. Unfortunately, it doesn't tell me to shut up. Okay. (laughs) Isaiah 54. Holy Spirit, this is your word. You inspired it. It's there for all time. Your word will never pass away. You are the author. You're conveying the heart of our Father to a people that he's called. This is prophetic to us today. Not just to us, but it is prophetic to us today. I want to pray for every one of us yeah, that we have ears to hear. Like Jesus said, to have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying. Sing, O barren, you who have not born. Break forth into singing and cry aloud, you who have not labored with child. You need to understand, I don't want to break it down too much, but in their day, to be barren and childless in their minds was to be cursed by God. Also to be poor was to be cursed by God. And so in their mentality of their culture, they're saying, if we don't, remember Hannah's deep cry in her heart, God, give me a child. And she was crying loudly for this child. Well, God is saying, it's about to change. And I'm not just changing the circumstances and what you see in front of you. I'm changing what's inside of you and how you see yourself. You cannot see yourself anymore as barren. Without fruit, for more are the children of the desolate. That just goes against all conventional wisdom. Then the children of the married woman says the Lord. What was happening at the time in the life of victory when God gave us this scripture, all the way back in 1998, what was happening was miraculous. I could not point to any one thing and say, we've got this strategy. We've got this incredible vision. People would come and say, what's the vision? I'd say, I don't know. I haven't asked God about it. I'm just trying to hold everything together right now. He gives this scripture, and I'm telling you, what was happening went beyond what was evidence in the circumstances. That's what's happening here. It speaks out of coming out of barrenness and into fruitfulness. 
Verse 2, enlarge the place of your tent and let them stretch out the curtains of your dwellings. Do not spare. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes. I love that phrase, do not spare, because the NLT says, spare no expense. The NIV says, do not hold back. You know, the, the message says, think big. You know, he goes on and says, your descendants will inherit the nations and make the desolate cities inhabited. That's a legacy. That's generations. This is not just for one group of people at one moment in time. And what God is doing through us is not just about here and now and what we can achieve by ticking goals. What are we building for generations to come? And you will hear me and you have heard me and I will keep beating this drum over the years to come that the generation following that I'm setting up for and we're setting up for is going to outstrip everything we have ever done. Anyway, I don't want to go to that today because as we started expanding across this city into other cities in the nations of the world, something started happening, but I'm saying to you, it's time for it to take place again. Okay, verse four, do not fear for you will not be ashamed, neither be disgraced for you will not be put to shame for you will forget the shame of your youth. He goes on, talks about that victory moved into a new day and we are now living in that new day. It's, it's not the old day. A vision was born in us to spread out across this city in order to make an impact for the kingdom of God. We planted over eight churches in this city in that period, and we played a part in planting a further three churches overseas. Now, that was miraculous. Do you realize when we, sent, we, we adopted hope and sent out two in 2002, we were smaller than what we are right now, and we still did it. We had less income, less people, and we did more. Don't sit there and go, yeah, but we don't have this anymore, and we don't have them anymore, and we don't. Hey, we didn't back then. Faith doesn't need tangible things to make it happen. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. Anyway, and you know what happened to our vision? Over time, it got formed, it got challenged, it got shaped. It got beaten around a little bit, and we didn't know exactly how it was going to end up, um, which is okay. That's all right, because we're not just a corporation, but we knew it was a mandate from God. I remember somebody, when I first launched it in September 1999, I remember a family walking up, big smile on their face, nice people, and looking at me with a big smile saying, that is a great vision, Keith, but it's not for us. We're leaving. I'm going, how can you say that in the same sentence? Call me an idiot or a whatever, but don't tell me how good it is and then smile and walk away. But you know what they were saying? It's not for us. Okay. I accept that. I understand that. But it was for us. And we believed it. We worked hard at it. We gave to resource it. Many people sacrificed in so many ways to make it happen. But I tell you what we didn't plan. We didn't plan the internal change that needed to take place. We just start structuring, working hard, doing things on the surface, not realizing that God was more interested in the wine than the wineskin. That's what loving like Jesus came out of. You, know, you understand it wasn't building like this other church. It was loving like Jesus. And it needed to happen in my heart. I needed to get to a place where I went, you know, God, it's not really about numbers and it's not really about boxes being ticked and goals being achieved it's about what you're shaping us into be our unique 
calling and identity and living and working out of that that is so different to conventional church. Because I don't know if you know this, but conventional church is on the decline throughout the world. Now, I'm not talking about a denomination. I'm talking about still doing things the way they've been done for hundreds of years. That's on the decline. Did you know that? Because especially throughout the West, people are now getting so educated that they're going, nah, it's not relevant anymore. We don't really need that church stuff, that God stuff. That We're talking to some leaders, uh, high-level leaders. Last night we went out to dinner with them. I don't know if you've seen what's happened with Pastor Margaret Court on television. Stand with her. You might not agree with everything she says and how she says it, but stand with her. She has stood the test of time as a servant of God for decades and decades in this nation. And now because she says something with conviction and it's not popular. Anyway, that's not what the sermon's about. However, what she did do is she started quoting scripture on television. Now, you know what happens when you quote scripture to the non-believing people? They laugh at you. They go, huh, that doesn't mean anything to us. We can't keep, I'm not saying don't quote scripture, don't hear that. I'm saying we've got to be as wise as serpents and as harmless as doves in these days. Jesus said to his disciples, when you get brought before these people, I will give you the very words to say. Let's don't say what we always said 10, 20, 30 years ago. I'm going to show you a video in a couple of minutes of Jay Johns and how he says to people what he does with his life. I've found that a bit weird, you know, when people go, oh, you know, I get about three questions in this order. Who are you? Why did you come here? What do you do? It's usually in that order. Um, the only one that's not weird is who I am. Um, how do I say to people, yeah, I came here long before I ever came here. Never visited the country. We just moved over here. And why did you do that? God told me. I've got to change my voice when I do that. Or God told me. You know, I can't do it. You know, it's... You wait till you see J. Johns do this. All I'm saying to you is this, that God needed to change stuff internally in us so we didn't do the same old, same old. And there was a change that needed to happen in the soul of our church. We firmly believe we're going to get this big box and we're going to build all this stuff in this big box and everybody's going to come to us. Build it, they'll come. And God said, didn't I tell you to spread out? And I'll tell you, we've been talking about this recently. The change is clearer today than ever. Let me give you an example. And I know this doesn't bode well with some people. But God told us. And I'm not using that as a big stick. I'm just telling you, as for me and my house, we will pursue this. Um, let me give you an example. We said it very clearly three years ago. We see ourselves as a multi-site church across this city. Okay? We said it very clearly. Um, 2002, we literally spread out with four congregations across the city. Do you remember that? Yes. We did that. Um, and, and it's almost like God saying, hey, I didn't tell you to be in a single location with a large building used primarily for Sunday. That's not what I told you to do. That's what everybody else does. And I'm not saying it's wrong, but that's not what I told you to do. So... We've been looking for property here, there, and everywhere, and it's usually to serve that purpose. And I have voices all the time. Not just the voice that says, build, the, build it and they'll come. 
But I have other voices going, listen, we've been through a tough time. You just need to get a building, renovate, regroup, start over, rebuild. So we can be like we used to be. Everything within me wants to resign at that moment. Because I don't want to be what we used to be. Now you go, well, that's good for you, Keith. It's not good for us. I'm just telling you what God has called me to. Now, I know the next generation is going to boom in this thing. But I know what God's called me to do. So while we're on holidays, it's almost, I was thinking about the whole property thing. I shared this with the leaders a month ago, I think, at our prayer meeting. And I said, it's like I was thinking about buildings. God, buildings. When are you going to give us something? You know, it gets jolly frustrating. And the Lord did this. He said, I want you to lift yourself above the city. It's like I was stuck in Charlestown. I want you to lift yourself above the city. Now look down. What do you see? And across this city in different locations started lighting up. And he said, you see the many locations that serve many different purposes, not just Sunday? That's victory. The city is your campus, not Charlestown. That doesn't mean we take over the city. That's so arrogant. But what it means is we spread out in the city to do what we can do. It's like Janet said earlier. It's now not just a Sunday thing. God has given us opportunities through things like Ush. And that is just a foretaste. I reckon Graham Ush could explode for another two or three within the next few years. We could have six, seven Ush centers within the next few years. Had we stayed in one location, one Ush center. Which is amazing, isn't it? And that's what God said. So today we find ourselves at a place where we're ready to move forward and take ground. We've got to start moving forward because our values have been clarified, our vision is clear, and it's time to move. And so today is a day of declaration for forward momentum. And this is going to be a little bit fun and we're going to run out of time, but we're going to do it anyway. Um, Because in the scripture we read earlier, listen to me, The people of God were told to respond to the promises of God, not to their present circumstances. They were told, don't be afraid, you're not going to be embarrassed. That's significant. Don't hold back, you're not going to come up short. Today we're going to respond with courage and faith to the promises of God and trust the goodness of God. So, for significant impact in our city and beyond for the kingdom of God... We've only just begun to scratch the surface, and there's so much potential, so many possibilities, and a lot of you, I know you have so many dreams and ambitions in this area, and you go, but we haven't seen enough progress. Okay, Simon, you need to stand. You're the leader builder in this area. If Damien and Simone were present at Northwest this morning, they're in the hospital having their first child because they're part of the team. Uh, I don't know if there's somebody else there in this area that could stand, but I want you to stand because I'm going to declare over you prophetically. I've been getting stuff prophetic for every area for this, this day and this month. So this is prophetic. So Simon, for you and your team and everybody who is traveling down this track with you, is any of your team here? Stand up. Stand up, Nat. I know you're on that team. Who else is in the team? Stand up with you. Yeah. Okay, here we go. I declare over you right now that the wheels of momentum are beginning to turn. You will expand into areas of society with influence and honor. 
Get ready to move into the desolate places and fill them with the presence and the power of the kingdom of God. Desolate places are being claimed in Jesus' name. Great. Thanks for that. Deliberate development of disciples. Come on, for decades the church has been so busy creating disciples of the church. And all the while we've known deep inside us, we're coming up short. Jesus said to make disciples who are like him. So Pete and Fiona, Stan. Pete and Fiona, Edwards. Do you have any team members yet? Okay, we're going to declare for those. And for everything, everyone across our campuses who know that you're commissioned and you're, you're passionate about making disciples, here you go. I'm going to declare over you right now a time of transformation. The vision you saw of the nets being mended and catching a large amount of fish is taking place. The Lord says more. The lack that we have sensed for so long is being filled. And I declare that right now for team members who will stand up and say, we are going to make disciples in Jesus' name. The time that has been lost in this area will be redeemed quickly. Disciples of Jesus Christ will abound like much fruit on the vine. That is the Father's will. Great. Jamie, prophetic community. Because we've seen movement in this area and there's evidence that the Father's work is taking place. So Jamie Fay is here at Central, but over at Northwest, part of the team, we've got Cedric and Rachel. They need to stand. And I think Todd is there leading worship this morning. He needs to stand as we speak over this right now. Here we go. I declare over you, over your team, in fact, all of us, this is not just a team thing. This is all of us, that the time of activation is accelerating. The rivers flowing within us are overflowing through us. God's grace is moving into, into new places with creativity and power of the Holy Spirit. Let me say that again. I saw God's grace moving into new areas with creativity and power of the Holy Spirit. The things that seemed to be out of reach for so many are now made possible. The word of faith is in your mouth and in your heart. The time is upon us for the miraculous to become an everyday occurrence in Jesus' name. Great. Significant empowerment in ministry and leadership. Now, I'm going to tell you, over the years, 22 years we've been here, many people have served faithfully over the years, and we are so thankful. And you've used gifts and ministries for the building of God's house. But God is releasing something fresh in this area. John O'Holt, where are you, bud? Good. Great job on Sunday nights right now with shape. Still not too late to go. Last one tonight. I declare over you a new day. You alluded to this last week. There was an anointing on you last week that had you on the edge of tears at any moment. And, and people would look at this and go, yeah, I've done that before. But I'm saying to you, it's a new day marked by a next level. I call it next level anointing. Um, a day of partnership with the Father is on you. Jesus said this, my father is always at work. I too am working. The day of doing tasks for him is over. The day of joining with him in building the body of Christ is upon us. It's a day of power. It's a day of fulfillment. It's a day of release in Jesus' name. You go there tonight and you release that anointing in Jesus' name. Multi-site church united in purpose. 
been our descriptor since 2002 when we first spread out to four sites across this city. And even though the view was only partial at that time, it's becoming clearer. Graham Clothier is leading that team. You want to stand? I should have had all the teams stand, but if you're on Graham's team, stand up because it's time for things to break open. Darren and Beck over at Northwest, you represent us and uh, you stand there as we also speak over you because you represent to us the vision of spreading out the place of our tent. Now listen, even though you stand in a place of worship at this moment, this by no means limits us to these alone. It's a new day. So I declare that as we seek out sites for multiple uses for the kingdom, favor will come upon us. Doors will open. Ground will be taken. Resources will come in. We declare that we will not settle for an old wineskin or much of the same. I release dreams and visions of sites that create a church for the community. We will spread out in ways that go beyond traditional church activity. In Jesus' name. Great. Thanks, guys. All these guys are doing tremendous. All this stuff serves something. So what's it going to take as we start kind of thinking about wrapping this up? And oh gosh, I need an hour to preach this stuff. Might have to come back to it next week. I'll tell you what it's going to take. This is the prequel. Revelation that we are a covenant community. Listen to me. The prophet Isaiah was speaking to the people of God who were in covenant. Just in case you think covenant was an Old Testament thing. Go and read Galatians 4, 27 to 31. Let me say that again. Galatians 4, 27 to 31. Do you know what happens there? Paul takes this same scripture out of Isaiah 54 and he brings it to the church. And he says, church, you're part of this covenant. You get that? We are in this covenant community. We are not just a corporate group of people with a vision. And this means that we are not shaped by the values of this world. Listen to me. You know, when Paul says in Romans 12 too, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. People look at that and they go, okay, we, we shouldn't lust. We shouldn't be greedy. We shouldn't hate. We should. You know what else it means? We shouldn't live by the values of the world. Like what, Keith? Like the value that we are so baptized in called consumerism. Listen to me. You know what consumerism says? Well, you know, let's, let's just shop around and get the best deal at the moment. What's so bad about I love shopping. You ever go shopping with me, man? I'm telling you. Uh, the guy in, guys in Wyla, the traders in Wyla used to call me Abrahamic Edwards. Abraham Mac Edwards. So they said, you are both a Jew and a Scot at the same time. They used to hate to see me coming. I love doing deals. I go to the markets in Asia just to win the deal, not to get the stuff. So, what's so wrong with shopping around? Nothing until it's based on this combined value of individualism that says... I hold the highest place in my world, as a matter of fact, in the world, and I only do what's best for me. How does it fit me? Every decision I make is made out of what I get out of this. And it's kind of masqueraded in the thing of welfare. 
Not, not welfare system, but the welfare for me, for my family, for whatever. Whatever happened with servanthood? Whatever happened with sacrificial lifestyle? Whatever happened with, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself nothing, taking on the form of a servant. Whatever happened to that day? I'm telling you, we are baptized in this culture. It is so deep that we don't even see we're in it, and it's affecting every decision we make. Even the decisions of what we do about the house of God. We need revelation that we are not just a group or a club or a corporate group of people with some statement on the wall saying we do this, but we are a community here in life, in death, in sickness, in health, saying we are here to impact this city for the kingdom of God. This is not about me. This is about those who need Jesus. Listen, can I tell you, it's not even about us. Gosh, I know that sounds hard, doesn't it? But revelation is so critical on this. If we're going to be everything God has called us to be and do what he's called us to do, how do we make our decisions? This has got to be a prophetic moment for every one of us. We've got to rise above the values that shape this society and live in account. You know, the, the, the first church was literally seen as a revolutionary movement. It was so countercultural. The Jews said, go down to the marketplace and stand there until you get a job. And if you don't, you don't eat for the day. Whereas the church came along and said, we will share our resources with our people so everybody eats today. Counterculture. Where did that church go? Golly. I, I love the book of Ephesians. I told you that. It's falling out of my Bible. But I make the mistake a lot of Christians do when I read the book of Ephesians. You know what I do? I replace you with a little word called me. I. I think when God says you, he's talking to me. And he is. But you know, the context is that he's not talking to just me. Because when he says you, he's talking in the first person plural. And it actually, if we were in my hometown, we'd say y'all. And the Bible should be translated y'all. All y'all. Because the book of Ephesians is not written directly to individuals so they feel good about themselves. The book of Ephesians is written to the community of the king so they become everything they're meant to be together. Now listen to me. So I've, done, I've taken the liberty to retranslate Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 with what I call the amplified CKE version. I know my Greek. I am not violating the Greek here. I know my Greek. So let me read to you the CKE amplified version from community eyes not the Keith need aspect. So here it comes. For we, the church, the community of the king, are his masterpiece created. Not just I'm his masterpiece. Oh, look at me. I'm so wonderfully made. No, look at us. We are so brilliantly put together. We are a tapestry of color reflecting the goodness and the grace of God in the city. Because we are his masterpiece created in him to do good works, which is advancing his kingdom. Which he prepared, God prepared in advance. Even before we joined together in this place called Victory, he had this for us. For us to do collectively. End of lesson. So, what else is it going to take? Let me wrap it up. Conviction of a common calling. 
Because what we see, which is revelation, and what our heart is set upon is conviction, these things come long before you ask for a sacrifice. Do you see it? Do you believe it? Do you love it? Hmm. Because see, it's the conviction of our purpose that brings us together, keeps us together, and, and that conviction keeps us from being duped by the spirit of the world that will tell you what's significant and important and you should go after that. Because mm-hmm. it's not about me. It's not about you. It's not even about us. You know who it's about? It's about them. Them. Because this is a matter of the heart. You know, like the first church, we've got to have a passion for the calling that we've been trusted with. Yet Luke describes it more than any other New Testament writer when he says they were all with one accord. It's an old-fashioned phrase, but it literally meant the same thinking and passion and purpose. And I want to tell you, it's time for a fresh anointing of passion to be released in our hearts for the church to live its calling in a countercultural way. What for? So we can be freaks in this city? No. So we can be the salt of the city that is tasteful to reach the lost. Like Janet said earlier, I don't know who originally said it. I heard Rick Warren say it, but church is the only organization that exists for its non-members. So I said I was going to show you a video. I'm sorry I'm over time. Just this is Grace Day. It's not too bad. I, I, I find it difficult to describe to people what I do. And it happens all the time at the gym, on an airplane, in a queue somewhere. All it takes is they hear my accent and like, yeah, what are you doing here? I can't avoid it, except if I went mute. Um, and so I'm thinking creatively, how do we tell people who we are and what we do? Remember, not conventional. We're church people and you should come. You know, hallelujah. No, 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 creatively. Jay Johns is brilliant. So I want you to just watch it. Only goes a minute and a half. How He was on television in Britain and he describes how he deals with this thing when he's out in public and they ask him who you are, what you do. Let's watch the screen. I think we can do this. Great. Lady on an aeroplane at Heathrow Airport, and I said, Hello, and she said, Oh, hello. And I said, Where are you going? And she says, I'm going to Singapore. Then she said to me, Where are you going? I said, I'm going to Australia. I said, What do you do? So she told me. Then she said, What do you do? And I said, Well, (laughs) I work for a global enterprise. She said, do you? I said, yes, I do. I said, we've got outlets in nearly every country of the world. She said, have you? I said, yes, we have. I said, we've got hospitals and hospices and homeless shelters. I said, we do marriage work. We've got orphanages. We've got feeding programs, educational programs. I said, we do all sorts of justice and reconciliation things. I said, basically, we look after people from birth to death and we deal in the area of behavioral alteration. She went, wow! And it was so loud, her wow, loads of people turned around and looked at us. She says, what's it called? I said, it's called the church. Brilliant. Brilliant. 
You can, you can actually look at that on YouTube because uh, it's, it's amazing. We, we exist for our non-members. Things like, you know, our vision creates what happened on Friday night at youth. You guys, I, I, how you were dressed was in your onesies was one thing. But four people came to Christ on Friday night, you know, at the youth. That's what we exist for. But how's it going to happen? What's it going to take? It's going to take activation by each person. Because we see, we get revelation. Our heart gets moved. We get conviction. But it's got to lead to action. And it works best when each, each one of us plays our part. Um, recently, Simon's helped me. I tore the muscle right between the calf and the Achilles. You know, doing the bike stuff. I knew something was wrong. So I started pushing harder with the right leg. My right leg, when it finished after 48 kilometers, looked at my left leg and said, you idiot, what are you doing to me? You're killing me here. So then I had trouble with the right leg. It's like the body of Christ. Parts become inactive, not realizing that the active parts are working doubly hard just to make things happen. Activation. Because revelation remains in the realm of dreams until it's activated. Let me say that again. Revelation stays in the realm of dreams until it's activated. Conviction does not move beyond sentiment without action. It's just a feeling in the heart. And I love what Thomas Edison, the great creator and engineer said, vision without execution is hallucination. That's what it's going to take. Long before the sacrifice, we've got to see, we've got to feel and be convicted of, and then we've got to do. Hands and feet. Let's stand to our feet, please. Thanks for joining us for the C3 Victory Podcast. We would love to see you at one of our services. To find out more, visit us online at c3victory.org.au or check us out on Facebook or Instagram.